in our church, and, and I mean the Episcopal Church, not just St. John's Episcopal Church, but in the denomination and probably even further liturgical churches, churches that are bound under the revised common lectionary, this program that we have that delivers us uh, particular stories in churches that exercise uh, ritual each Sunday with intention and, and meaning, we have a habit, of a, g- a good habit, of taking time before Easter, those 40 days and some Sundays, of really immersing ourselves in the season that we call Lent. Lent is a time where the liturgical Christian maybe doubles down on some spiritual disciplines. We make space in our lives so that we would reconnect with our spiritual selves. And a part of that work is in preparation for the season of Easter. Prior to Easter, we liturgical Christians celebrate a season of fasting and devotion, a time where we clear things out and get quiet and calm and centered and open. And that's important. We typically do that up until Easter Sunday morning, where upon at sunrise, we throw a big party. We throw off our solemn faces. We re-adopt smiles on our mouths and alleluia comes forth from our lips for the first time in 40 days and some Sundays. And we have ham and glam and all of the wonderful things that come from Easter. And if you are a part of a church like ours, the denomination, a liturgical church, one that uh, is governed at least around the story by the revised common lectionary, then you have some sense that just as Lent prepares us as we're moving through the story, so does Easter. Easter is a season, 50 days from Easter Sunday until the day of Pentecost, which marks time in a different way. And there's some intentionality that the church, that both the ritual and the story brings to our lives that we can hear in church on Sunday morning if our ears are attuned to it. We hear it this morning in these readings that we have, that reading from Acts of the Apostles is this beautiful tale that sort of straddles a world of both profoundly spiritual and utterly material in a really great way. And then, it, I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better reader to have David read the revelation to John from the King James Version. It was like, I should have planned it. I, I, to have that sense that we get held between these two places the profoundly spiritual and the utterly material is the work of the season of Easter. God showing us that we as creatures, God made creatures, humans made in the image of God have capacity. That we can be bigger and 
maybe more full than we imagine ourselves, at least in that more sober and pious season of Lent. We hear it in the psalm from this Sunday where it begins with those echoes of the creation story from Genesis and it ends with the people of Israel, with God working among the people day in and day out. This wide expanse from profoundly spiritual to utterly material. And it can be a challenge for us. It can be a challenge for us to include that wide range into our own lives. But that is the work of Easter. That's the season of Easter, bringing capacity back into our lives so that when when the commission comes on Pentecost Day, we're ready to pick it up and carry it out. Maybe some of you have visited the church on the coast of the Mediterranean that remembers this story that we have from Acts. If you had an opportunity, you would see that Joppa, the the location that that Luke, the narrator of Acts, is remembering, is it's sort of like a stone fortress that sits on the sea coast. And if you were to go into the church that remembers the story of Peter receiving this profound vision from God, you would see behind the altar, there's a gigantic mosaic that tries to convey this mystical, this profoundly spiritual moment that Peter has. And it's quite strange. And as I was thinking about um, being there in front of that mosaic, I was thinking about the challenge of narrating, of putting words to that mystical side of ourselves, to the profoundly spiritual moments that we have where we feel connected and drawn to something more, something bigger, something deeper in our lives. And I, was, I began to remember these experiences that I have with my daughter, Jade. It's almost always a winter morning, so that means it's dark right? Just so dark when we're getting up to go for school. It's always when I've had like maybe one sip of coffee. So I'm not, you know, the engine's not revved up yet. I'm not fully on board. And Jade comes trotting down the stairs with a big smile on her face and an open heart and says these dreaded words, dad, you're never going to believe the dream that I had last night. And I'm just, in my mind, I'm like, oh, no. Too soon. Don't try to tell me your dreams yet. Let me get this coffee down. Let the sun shine a little bit before I have to try to listen to something with words that I know for you was profound and in your heart and visual. It's hard. When you look at the mosaic behind that church, there's like a weird upside-down turban with four corners tied, and then there are a bunch of animals inside that turban that's coming down from heaven. It's hard to grasp. It's hard for us to put words to profoundly 
spiritual experiences. And yet, for all of us human beings, they are quite real and alive. We live some of our days in this place of profound spiritual experience, all the while also having to serve the utterly material. And as I pushed myself into these readings for this week to find what, what's our catch, what's the Spirit saying to St. John's Episcopal Church in Jackson, Wyoming, to people who want to spread a little love around this valley, I got hung up on this one beautiful line that tends to expand uh, across this divide of profoundly spiritual and utterly material. And you'll read it. It's in, it's in the page. It says, The Spirit told me to go with these men and not to take into account the difference between them and us. And I was like, yeah, that's it. Not to make a distinction between them and us. To trust the voice of something that is profoundly spiritual, utterly loving, and to move toward it in very practical ways. And so I began to think a bit and like, there's not much we can do with Washington. There's not much we can do with Cheyenne. There most certainly isn't much that I can do with town council building over here, <laughs> though I try. Um, but we can listen to that voice and open ourselves up to the profoundly spiritual and begin to engage in the utterly material work of God that we hear coming from John's gospel in that simple, that simple didache from Jesus of, look, look, I'm going to leave you, but here's exactly how you do it. You love one another just as I have loved you. Imitate the life that we have been living together and spread it far beyond. Don't make a distinction between them and us. Don't only deliver it to us, deliver it to all. I know that as Christians, sometimes we can be tempted to live only in the profoundly spiritual or to live only in the utterly material, but the work is for us to live in both Places And then I began to ask myself, where do I see it happening? Where do I see it happening? And the first place that I saw it happening was here in a, in a very obvious way. It was what you would expect. On Friday afternoon, many of you populated the pews of this church as we said goodbye to Vicki Johnson, one of the matriarchs of this church who lovingly served and mothered this congregation along through the entirety of her adult life in a beautiful way. We celebrated Vicki with story, sacred story, with personal story from her sons, with ritual and prayers that we have been praying over the dead for at least 540 years, at least. 
And that was a beautiful thing. And then I saw something else, and I was like, that's it. That's it. There it is. There it is, St. John's, and she's going to kill me for putting the spotlight on her right now because I'm doing it without her knowing it, and I did it at 8 without her knowing it, and she's sitting here right now. So at Vicki's memorial service, it was one of the most beautiful moments I've seen. Her granddaughter, Vicki's granddaughter, has a new tiny little grandbaby, and that baby did what babies do in church. She was noisy. Any of us who can remember being a parent in church with a baby knows exactly what I'm talking about here. Like you sit in these pews and you're like, I need a word. Like I've got this baby and I've got this work and I've got this life and maybe I have this partner and I need a word. And yet that baby needs you. And that baby was doing what babies do squeaking and fussing and curring and googling and cooing and doing her thing and I saw granddaughter getting up moving in and out of the church like we do like we've done with our babies for generations and then I saw her come back in and I thought in my mind she came back in without the baby and I thought in my mind I was like good for you dad good for you you got up Gave mom a break. You're doing a little tag teaming. And then I looked, and there he was. There's dad. And then from my chair back there, I see Lindy Sayers walking across the narthex, baby in hand. Lindy was here to remember Vicky, to do the altar guild, and to be a grandmother to this baby. And I was like, yes, that's it. That's it, St. John's. That's the love of God happening in a profoundly spiritual way, but manifesting itself in the utterly material world in which we live. Maybe some of you opened the newspaper this week and you read the story of our own Bill Hayes, who with his son Rob and their other friend Bill went and bought almost 300 backpacks, stuffed them into duffel bags, bought plane tickets to Poland because in Bill's words, I can't just sit here and watch what's happening. I can't just sit here. They flew to Poland to distribute backpacks to whoever they could find that needed a backpack because they saw people carrying their clothes and their belongings and trash bags over the border from Ukraine to Poland. They happened to put up a little GoFundMe before they left that originally originally had a goal of $15,000 just so they could support the work there. By the time I saw it, it was well over $15,000. They raised it to $35,000 and the last time I looked at it, it has more than $135,000. And while they were there, they bought pallets of food for refugees who are hungry and have no place to lay their head. The work of God, the profoundly spiritual work of God happens in utterly material ways whether it's carrying a baby in the narthex so a granddaughter 
can grieve and celebrate the life of her grandmother, or it's a Yehu lawyer from Texas moved to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, who buys 300 backpacks online to give out to Polish, to, to Ukrainian refugees coming into Poland. Or if it's, you know, not just David reading the beauty of Revelation from the King James Version, but David coming into the office on Thursday to pick up feminine hygiene products to make sure they are in the bathroom of the library and the schools and every grocery store in this town. The work of God, the love of God is lived out into our lives in utterly practical ways. You can see it with that baby. You can see it with those backpacks. You can see it with the feminine hygiene products. And we most certainly saw it with clergy in the parking lot of a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, praying prayers with people who have once again witnessed and experienced utter hatred, violence, and death. There they were. There they are living it out, living out the profoundly spiritual in utterly material ways. That is the work that we do as a church, as a people called out. Lest we become confused about the why because of historical theological arguments in the history of the church let me be clear we do not do these small beautiful loving things because we want God to take notice of us. God has already taken notice of you, of me, of all of us. We are made in the image of God. We are beloved of God, and there is nothing we can say or do in order to separate us from that love. We do these things because we have taken notice of God. We have been open and heard the words of Jesus. Love one another as I have loved you. Follow the voice of the Spirit and make no distinction between them and us. In my mind and in my experience, there is not a lot we can do about the big things that divide us. 
but there is abundant opportunity to immerse ourselves in the little things, in the utterly material acts of love that happen in and around us every day. I suspect many of you who have heard me preach week in and week out, heard the gospel read and thought, hmm, I know what he's going to preach about. <laughs> love, 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 right? That's all we hear. As I was preparing to preach this week, I thought, you know, like the cool thing about St. John's Episcopal Church is, is we don't just talk about love. We do it. And then I thought, do y'all know that? Do you know that? Because I suppose if you just sit in the pews week in and week out, maybe you don't have a sense of the little things, whether it's exercising prayer and ritual over a beloved who has died and is gone and serving grieving families or it's carrying a baby or it's buying backpacks and making sure that they're delivered or making sure that girls and women have access to health care needs, healthcare supplies that they need. I don't, you know, or it's, or it's hosting 122 or Coombs Outdoors or making sure that people have low cost, high quality clothes and housewares at browsing by. The work that we do is not just talking about love, but talking about it and embodying it. And we do it not because we want God to take notice of us, but because we have taken notice of God who we know to be love. And we have a desire to partner with that God in this world, in this life. Amen.